he's still working on you. Just wait at some point this week when the flesh rises up and you'll realize he's still working on me. And thanks be unto God. You know, the Lord says to have patience. And if he would require us, it's like Peter coming to the Lord and say, how many times should I forgive somebody? And Peter thought maybe, maybe seven times would be plenty. I kind of with him on that. You know, somebody, a day, he said, how many times a day should I, somebody offend me seven times in one day? I just don't know. You know, I'm really, I'm really trying to hold on to grace right there. But Jesus said, no, not seven. Seventy times seven. You mean I have to forgive him 490 times a day? I'm gonna tell you, that, that gives us a little picture inside of our Lord. Do you think he would require of Peter to do more than he does himself? So his grace is ever sufficient in our life. And, and we don't make the things of God frivolous in that way, but but whatever God needs to do in our life, he is so good, so kind, able to do even exceeding abundant. He is helping us, growing us up. I need to grow. How many here this morning would just, you don't have to raise your hand, but you would say, I need to grow up a little bit in the Lord. I need to grow up a little bit. So we got something this morning that, that I want to talk about the next couple of Sundays that I really feel like that. Lord, just kind of press this on me. Um, if you go to Philippians, the second chapter, Philippians, I want to read out of the the um, second chapter and get my Bibles upside down here. Second chapter and beginning at the ninth, or excuse me, the fifth verse, I think it is. And Paul, under inspiration, the power of the Spirit of God. Give something here to the church at Philippi, but it is way powerful enough to supersede past the church at Philippi. It goes right to all the way to us this morning. So let's begin in verse 5. And in just this thought of this chapter, the beginning thought, and it talks about us and how we are um, to treat one another. And then in verse 5, let this mind be in you, uh, which also was in Christ Jesus. And now we have uh, one of the spots in Scripture where a lot of uh, theology is taken from. And Paul, a lot of times, he'll write along and just general information to the church, and then all of a sudden, He'll come to a place, and I believe it's the Spirit of the Lord, that, that he'll begin to give revelation that he's acquired by the, by the Spirit and understanding of the Lord. This is one of those places. But let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. And then verse um, 6, who's subsisting, I'm just going to read it this way and we'll talk about it, but who's subsisting in the form of God. thought it not robbery to be equal with God, and really the word with is not in there, it's equal to God. He thought it not robbery to be equal to God, but emptied himself, taking the form of a servant, 
having become in the likeness of men, and being found in in fashion as a man, he humbled himself, having become obedient until death. Not unto death, but until death, even the death of the cross. Therefore, also God highly exalted him. So I want to take these scriptures this morning, and, and, and I think there's something in here because there's a directive to us. Let this mind be in you. How many do we have out here this morning that would qualify for being you? It's the scriptures. Anybody qualify for that besides me? When the scripture says you, well, that, that's probably somebody else. That's not me. Let this mind be in, you know, another one of the brethren. It's just not for me. Here's the directive. Let this mind be in you. So I'm going to talk to every person that's sitting in this house this morning, who whether you think you're just beginning in Christ or you think that you're really up there and advanced in Christ, I'm going to give you an opportunity to see this morning that this word applies directly to each and every one of us. Is that okay? Say amen. And so... um, Take this word of God, and for the next few weeks, there's just some thought here that I really believe. Um, Brother Aaron, a lot of times in class for over the last uh, couple of months, and those that's been in that class will realize this, that he's, and Brother Josh mentioned this the other night, talked about the mind. And the mind plays a big, huge part in uh, what we believe and what we do and what we're about. And so we're going to talk about that, what was in the mind of the Lord a little bit this morning. Jesus, Lord, I don't try to come up here this morning and invent something, put something together that, that really you haven't already shown. But Lord, you've already given us your word. You've already given us understanding and wisdom. And so I look at this this morning and I say, God, this is going to be good for us. This is going to be good. Lord, so we approach it in that way that we receive this morning, receive the Word of God, the engrafted Word of God in our life. Lord, so that it may do what it needs to do in each one of us, I pray it will bear into us, Lord. In your name we ask it, Jesus. Amen. Amen. And uh, oftentimes you've probably heard me say this, But I think about that, you know, kind of that quote, what would Jesus do? And so I deal with that at times because of the frivolousness of the approach of that. You get into a situation, and then let's just throw this at it. What would Jesus do? Well, my friend, you have no way of knowing what Jesus would do unless you know the mind of Christ. And so we can speculate what Jesus would do. We can suppose, based on what we feel about him and what we think that he is or would do, we can theorize or even guess at what Jesus would do. 
But all of this is entirely inadequate. It's not enough. So I get in a situation, and what would Jesus do? Well, I really, I don't know what he'd do. But this is what I think he would do. Let me guess. I guess he would do this. When really there's, there's a little bit clearer uh, description of those things, if we can, if we can lock ourselves down into what, not what Jesus would do, but what he did do. We take and understand what Jesus would do by what he already has done. What he has shown about his character. And then we know from his character of his person while he was living in this earth and we have the record of his person and what he would do is described in what he did do. Can you say amen? Do you understand that? So I hear this song the other day and I'm, I'm just going down the road and, and here we go again. It's a brand new song. Never heard these kind before, but they come on and I like listening to Enlighten. The boys don't like listening to Enlighten. So when I'm in a truck by myself, I listen to Enlighten. And here comes this country, it's country gospel. And so here he comes on there and uh, now he's really putting people in their place and talking about if you really knew who Jesus was, then you would understand that he didn't judge. And if you really knew who Jesus was, you'd understand he just brings blessing and he is just tolerant and he's all accepting and, and that kind of a thought and that train of thought. And I thought, here we go again. Here's somebody that's going to tell you about Jesus that really doesn't know about his character. And so if you don't know about the character of Jesus, you're not qualified to say what he would do and how he would act. And anyone can promote a thought. And I realized this a long time ago. Uh, anybody can pick a Bible up, and out of that Scripture, they can develop a theory that is not right about the Lord. Isn't it amazing that all of the base religious groups, at least in America we can speak to, begin with the same Bible? Mormonism began with the same Scripture. Jehovah Witness began with the same Scripture. Seventh-day Adventists and all the rest of the religions in our country begin with this Bible. But what happened was, is that they used the Scripture to prove their own doctrine and their own theory and what they wanted to see in Scripture. And I think the fault of that is the ministry because the ministry is to expose the truth about the person of Jesus Christ. This is what the ministry is about. The ministry isn't about getting churches together and people together and, and just, you know, taking care of community needs and making sure that everybody's got everything they need and helping people along. That is not the, the description of what God calls his ministers to. But they are there. They are there to enlighten the people. They are there to open the scripture so that we understand who Jesus is. Really, the Lord is the apex of all things. Can you say amen? It's not community good. It's not just doing doing churchy things and having churchy meetings and, and getting all of our ducks in a row. Uh, my job is about telling you the description 
deception of Jesus Christ according to his word. And that's what I intend to do. That's what I contend to do all of these years in teaching this gospel. Amen. And so let's read carefully again Ephesians, the fourth chapter. This is a good place to go right now, the 11th verse. Ephesians, the fourth chapter and the 11th verse. This scripture is not put in here to vaunt up, to build up, to glorify ministry. But there is a point and reason for this to be put into the, into the Bible. Listen. In the 11th verse, and he gave some to be apostles and some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers. Now, I, I like the way J.P. Green translates this, with a view to equipping the saints for the work of ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ, until we all may come into the oneness of the faith, of the knowledge of the Son of God, to a full-grown man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. There is your purpose and intention of God setting ministry in the church. Ministry is not there to be honored even though it should be. Ministry is not there to dictate and tell people everything. Even though that happens, it's all, you know, all those things that have come into um, the realm of ministry. There's just a lot of things that should not be there because what God designed, and here in the fourth chapter of Ephesians, what God designs is that ministry should lead us into that knowledge of the fullness of the stature of Jesus Christ. This is what God put on Peter in the beginning. The Lord says to him, Peter, feed my sheep. And he's not out there to feed them foolishness. He's out there to feed them this clear gospel of who Jesus is. And he will conduct that ministry until the time of his passing. And then the apostles, the other apostles, the other pastors, the other leaders, they did the same thing. It's been corrupted over the ages and turned into something that it shouldn't be. But the job of ministry is to expose the truth about the stature of the fullness of Jesus Christ in our Christian life. Can the church say amen? And so as pastors and teachers and preachers expose the word of God, we either become full-grown men measuring up, full-grown women Measuring, growing, measuring ourselves, not against ourselves, but against the knowledge of Jesus Christ. And when I look at myself, I can't compare myself to another man. I can't compare myself to another pastor, another preacher. I have to compare myself to the image of Jesus Christ. And when I look in the mirror, I'm not judging myself by myself and saying that I could do a little better by myself, but I'm looking in the mirror of Christ. And when I see Him and I see His glory and His goodness, then I'm exposed to what I am because it's not Him who needs to grow into me. It's me who needs to grow into the knowledge and fullness of the, the stature of Jesus Christ and so we keep this in front of us as a church and I know that we do and so we preach this we teach this and then it's left up to us as saints 
to grow into that. Now, I was come through an era in my life and in a lot of churches when I was young. It was imposed upon people how to live and what to do. And I found out that most of those people that surrendered to that really didn't have any measure of the fullness of the stature of Christ in their own life. They were just measuring up to what the church wanted them to be. And so I look a certain way because the church wants me to look that way. And, and, and I don't want pastor to see me doing, you know, X, Y, Z, because that would be bad. Well, where's the measure of the fullness of the stature of Christ in your life? And so this is how we preach that, that it isn't about conforming to the church. It's about conforming to Jesus Christ. It's about your life measured against his life. Wow, that's a big measure. Can you say amen? So I've got one that is holy. He is perfect. He is righteous. He is good in all things. And then I'm trying to measure up against that. Are you kidding me? I've got stuff in my life. I've got mistakes in my life. I've got, Lord, help me. It's hard for me to measure. And that's why we keep preaching this gospel. That's why we keep teaching Jesus, help us, Lord. Jesus, grow us up, Lord, so that we'll come to a full-grown man. We'll come to a full-grown woman that we'll be able to stand on our own two feet regardless what anybody does, regardless who fails, regardless who is exalted. We will stand in Jesus Christ because Because we're coming to a measure in our life of the fullness of not us, not the church, not the pastor. We're coming to a measure of our life in Jesus Christ. Amen. Let's give the Lord a hand clap of praise right there. We believe that. Thank you, Lord. Let me say this, that God is acutely aware of fleshly stubbornness. And as much as I would like to change people, that's not my job. My job is to expose. My job is to declare. And and God, help us. How merciful is the Lord? I mean, how merciful is he? We don't want to take advantage of that mercy. But God has to be mercy when he's dealing with humanity. He's got to be merciful because... Because we are stubborn. We are fleshly stubborn. But God gives us time. And God gives us help. And he gives us understanding so that we can change in our life. I know if you're 30 years old, you're already getting set in your ways. You get up to 40, it's even bleaker. You get up to 50... You're becoming concrete in your ways. Anything older than that, you're going to have to blow you out of there with a stick of dynamite. We are set. We're good. We're ready. Don't bother me. It's very few that will actually say, God, I need change in my life. When we get older, it just, it just we figured it out. This is the way we walk. This is work for me. This is what I do. God, I don't want change. Thank you. And God all the time is trying to bring us to a measure of fullness. I say, Lord, help us. Amen. Somebody said help us. And and that's exactly right. God, please, Lord, please help us. 
There's times that we need to repent in our life. And now let me, let me qualify that. It's not just getting down to the altar and saying, Lord, here I am again. I'm nothing but a sinner. I'm not talking about that. That needs to be done. And if you fail in your life, you need to come clean with the Lord. Absolutely. But the word repent really means something different than to just come to an altar and pray. The word repent, metanoia, means a changing of your mind. Now, I know there are preachers and I know there are doctrines that just talk all about the mental aspect. Christian science is really into that, you know, the, the conscious and subconscious and, and all the awarenesses of, of things. That, and, and I don't believe that's where we're going this morning, but I do believe this, that, that your mind plays a major factor in how you're going to live your life. No wonder the scripture says, let this mind be in you. So Philippians, the second chapter, is not about the Lord just posturing here. It's not about just a report card of something that, you know, the Lord wants us to be. This is about what he did. There's four actions here in this that, that I see in his second chapter of Philippians of what the Lord did. Four actions. He denied, he humbled, he obeyed, and he died. Four actions that he took. Mm -hmm. So let this mind, and the word mind here is really the thinking process. Let the thinking process, or even it can go to opinion. All of our opinions come out of our mind, right? Well, this is how I feel, bless God, you know. And we'll all go home this morning, and it's just what we do. Well, pastor preaches in that, but I think, you know. It, well, that's just our opinion, right? He's got an opinion. You have an opinion. We all have opinion. All God's children's got opinions. But really, our opinions really don't matter. Let this opinion, Right? Can you say amen? Let this opinion that was in Christ Jesus, let this mind that was in Christ Jesus, let it, let it, how does it say, be in you. The one in the Greek word for word says, the one even in Christ Jesus. Now, King James always uses let. Let is almost permissive, right? Subjunctive. Um, maybe I will, maybe I won't, you know, let, let this mind, well, I can or I can't, but that is not the term in Greek, it's not subjunctive, it's in the imperative mood, when you get into the imperative mood, you get into a personal directive, and we could call it a command or demand, or we can just call it something that God said that you will do this. It, it's, it's not just a, a matter of choice any longer. Well, I choose. That's subjunctive. Well, I choose this or I choose that. No, this, this is a directive to the Christian life. So I'm not letting anybody in the building out this morning. Neither is the scripture. Let this mind be in you. We're going to go stronger than let. It's a personal directive to you. 
that this mind as a Christian, now I'm not telling you what to do as, as just out in the world, but I'm talking about Christian people. Let this mind be in you is more than a subjunctive thing. Well, maybe I will, maybe I won't. But as a Christian, there is a personal directive requirement for you that the mind of Christ begins to work into the mind of Rod and Rodney and all of the people that are in the, the body of Christ, that this mind, what mind? Not your mind, not your opinion, not your thought, not your thinking process, but let this mind be in you that was in Christ Jesus. Mm. Wow. See, the mindset of Jesus should define Christian values. Not what you think Christian values are. That's why that little song that I just heard where the guy said, you know, Jesus, if you really knew Jesus, that you'd understand that, that he's just, you know, this all-inclusive buddy to everybody. Well, I'm going to drop that this morning because I want to let this mind, not his mind. That's, that's his opinion of what he thinks the Lord is. But this morning we have a directive from the Lord that defines really our Christian value. Come on, say Amen. And we have what we call family values and Christian values. It's going on in this country. They're being perverted. They're being torn down all over the place. I mean, get them out of school. Get them out of our courtroom. Get them out of our system. Don't recognize God. Don't have family values, Christian values. They are hated by the world. But they are loved by the saints. Why? Because if you begin to think like the world, you will also hate Christian values. You can't think like the world and have Christ in your life. You have to think like Christ to have Christ in your life. Does everybody understand what I'm saying? Say amen. And so secondly, I, I always say this. He would never ask us to do something that he didn't do himself. I love that about the Lord. And I think some of the things that are in the Scripture are heavy. They lay heavy on us. They're, they're hard sometimes. They're, it's, it's, but he will not give us more than, than we can carry. But sometimes it just seems like, wow, this is pretty heavy. I don't know if I can live up to this. But Jesus will never ask you to do anything that he did not do in his own flesh, that he didn't carry as a man. He'll never require you to do things that he wouldn't do himself. That's why he's the wonderful Savior. He has conquered everything, and we become conquerors because he's a conqueror. We are conquerors in Christ Jesus. What? In every aspect of our life, he has already conquered, and he will show us how to conquer if we get the mind of Christ in us. So we like to, we, we like to uh, quote Luke 9, 23, right? All of those kids that were in discipleship and everybody that was involved with discipleship, this was our favorite uh, little, little text scripture. We call it the four Ds, right? And it said in them, if any man will come after me or desire, let him deny himself. Let him take up his cross daily and follow me. And so 
would the Lord require me four D's if he did not take on four D's himself? In order for me to conquer these four D's in my life, I've got to look to a Jesus who has the power to do it, not in the heaven, but in the earth as a man and get it done. So I want to look at that aspect for just a little bit. And Lord, we just ask you now just to regenerate our minds. Paul said in one place, we have the mind of Christ. It's there. We have it. Let's use it. Can you say amen? And so going on, it says, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God. And I just want to break that down a little bit. Here now we find him uh, being in the form of God. And it uses the Greek word being here is huparkon. Huparkon is connected with arche. Arche is beginnings. It's to come into being. What this means is to come into being, not subsisting. Subsisting means you're just staying as you are. But actually, there was a time when there was not a son. There was a time when there was no Jesus Christ. Everybody okay? Man, you preached some weird stuff here this morning. No, Jesus Christ was born the only begotten Son of the Father. And, and so there's this time. But we're not talking about subsisting, being in heaven, making a decision in heaven. But coming into being as God manifested in the earth. And now he thinks it's not robbery. And so this word robbery means seizure in some way, to take what is not yours, to seize something. But Jesus, see, he's not Christ until he's Christed. Acts 10, 38, and we see how God, Christ, it uses the Greek word ekriston. In other words, God Christed him in the Jordan to ministry. That anointing, that messianic ministry begins to happen at Jordan. And so if we look at this scripture, how that this mind be in us that was in Christ Jesus. Then we've got to time date that a little bit because that's not back in heaven somewhere. That's on the earth with us. And this process of going through this thinking, I'm, I'm going to put it in the wilderness. I'm going to put it in 40 days and 40 nights of fasting and prayer is where this actually happened in his life. He's already the Christ. He leaves the Jordan, goes into the desert, and in the desert there he is praying and fasting for 40 days. What do you imagine that he might be praying and fasting about? Let me tell you what it is that he's praying and fasting about. He's praying and fasting about the mind of God and the work of ministry. How shall I conduct this thing? It's not seizure or, or wrongly acquired to conduct the messianic ministry as God. That would not be wrong. That would not be false. The Jews accused him, you, a man, making yourself to be God. But he did not come that way in ministry. He could have, and it would have been right. 
Had he walked out of that desert and said, I'm going to do this thing as God, that would not be seizure. That would not be robbery. Because he had the right of power already. He didn't have to seize anything. He already had the fullness of the godness dwelled in him bodily. So he doesn't have to do anything out of the irregular to manifest this ministry as being equal to God. Or should he take it on as a common man? I believe this is what's going over in his, in his thought process while he's in that wilderness. Brother De La Vega, years ago, he said this, and I haven't forgot it. He said that he was just shoring up everything in his life, everything about him. He's, he's been a businessman. He's been a carpenter. He's been out there doing the trades and taking care of family issues and things. And now he just got baptized and, and Christ had anointed. He's in the wilderness now, and he's shoring up everything about his life. And one of the things that he's shoring up is how he will conduct himself in ministry. And in his thought process, he's going to take it on as a common man. In the line of Isaiah 42... Behold my servant. He will come out of that wilderness as a servant. Well, that's, you know, this should be an example for ministry. If you ever get in a desert time and fasting and prayer and seeking God, there should be some thoughts go through your mind except exalting yourself. Can you say amen? There should be some, some stuff, and, and uh, you know, there are times. There are times when God begins to speak to us. How many, how many knows that there's, like, you know, you're going along real fine. you got your everyday thing going. You know, I'm reading and praying. And, but then there's times when God begins to speak to you, and he begins to talk to you, and, and, and he's trying to translate to you something besides what you can do in your own flesh. And so I like what the Scripture says. He emptied himself. He just took everything and dumped it out. What did he dump out? He would not do his ministry as God. He would do it as a servant. He's not going to do ministry so that he is somehow separated from the human race. He's going to do it fully human. Can you say amen? And fully God at the same time. But he's going to conduct himself as a man. He will hurt. He will be hungry. He will be thirsty. He will be at times, he will be lonely and forsaken. He will be smitten and rejected. He'll know what it's like to suffer disappointment. And he'll know what it's like to have victory and glory. He will suffer the agony of the things that we would call defeat and, and the disappointments in life, but he would also feel the exaltation of what God has planned and purposed and him fulfilling that. There is no greater feeling of fullness than to do what God has purposed in your life. 
And this is what the Lord will feel. He will feel the ups and he will feel the downs of life. He will feel the sorrows and he will feel the joys. He will feel what it feels like to be a human being. What it, what it feels like to go through temptation. What it feels like to suffer the loss of some things. But thank God he's going to do it as a man. He's not going to do it as a God who is removed. He will do it as a man. And because of that, we can let this mind that was in him, somehow God translate it to be in us. Because it is possible that the mind that he had was not a removed mind. It was not just a mind of God, but it was a mind of man. And it can be in your mind. Can you say amen? And, and so, in that desert time, he gets ready to serve. In that desert time, he gets ready to be found in the fashion of men. In that fasting time, no wonder when the devil comes to him and tries to tempt him. How does he try to tempt him first? He tries to tempt him out of the flesh. He wouldn't have turned that those, those stones into bread just because the devil suggested he should. And he could, but he emptied himself. And then the devil comes at him. All the kingdoms of the world will be yours if you just bow down. And, and now again he's tempting the psyche of the Lord because the Lord is going to be the king of kings and the Lord of lords. But he's not taking a shortcut. He's not going to get there some other way. He's getting there as a man. And he's going to walk it out. Thank God he took it like a man. Thank God he took it like a man. And listen, the enemy can come to you and try and shortcut you. If you'll just do this and this and this, I'll get you out of this trial. If you'll just, I almost hate to say it, vaccine, your problems will go away. No, your problems won't go away. That's just the beginning of sorrows. If you'll just do this and this, I'll trade. No. No, I'm going to walk it out as a man. I'm going to walk it, God, because you have placed it in my heart and mind. You have placed it within me, the values that I have within me. I will also, as Jesus, walk my life out as a man. I take on the form of a servant. Well, that's a foreign word to us, and I'm going to deal with that in just a minute. So everybody, if you're going to sleep, do it right now and then wake up in a minute, okay? Because I really got something that I think is gonna, it's gonna jump on us a little bit. See, he's just gonna take it as any other man. He could have. See, he could have. If he wanted to do it as God, how many of you have seen the pictures of Buddha and he's levitating? He's got his belly there lapping over his knees. He's got his knees crossed, his belly lapping over. He's levitating above the water. Wow. If Jesus had been levitating while he taught the, the crowds, oh, how marvelous that would be. Would they have any doubt or any question about his power? 
here he is doing things that, that can't possibly be done. And so, whoa, we've got to go out to see him. No, he doesn't want to do it that way. He's on the hillside, and there he will. And I thought about this the other day. If you had 5,000 people out here on the hillside, they're not going to hear you unless you raise your voice. And I can see Jesus on the side of that mountain. He is preaching his heart out. He doesn't have a microphone. He doesn't have nothing. He's just preaching his heart out because he's doing it like a man. See, he could have done it another way. He could, he could have thrown lightning bolts out of his hands. Oh, yeah. If he wanted to do it as God, he could have, you know, the old Greek mythology of the guy that his lightning's coming out of his hand. Jesus really could have done that had he wanted to. He could have vaporized his enemies. Oh, you're coming out to arrest me? Just, they're all gone. Because he's God. They can't arrest him. They can't take him to a cross. But he doesn't do it that way. He could have ruled the whole world by just the word of his mouth. But he emptied himself. Because he had a different mind about this thing. Can you say amen? He had a different mind. He said it this way, the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve. Let this mind, uh-oh, now, now I'm going to get to us. This, this isn't going to feel good. And so the Lord God limited himself for the first time. He's never had a limit He's limited himself in flesh and as a man and now as a servant. He has limited his ministry, set parameters of his ministry in being a man and a servant. And God has never been limited in time past in eternity. What a wonderful Lord. Can you say amen? So here he will limit himself and he will, for the duration of his ministry, he will do exactly that. Constantly teaching, healing, caring, loving, and the greater cause of bearing our sin to the cross. But I want to show you something. He only limited himself for a time. I like the writer of that song that said, we won't find him again at the whipping post. Standing there so meek. And we won't find him again nailed to a cross through his hands and through his feet. There's no need for another Calvary. He's not there. But for a time, he has limited himself, but, but he'll not do it again. He is now glorified above all things. But see, this might, and so he's thinking, the cross is before him. He's out in the desert still. He's thinking the cross is before him. The death is before him. And yet he, he despises the shame of it. But, but for the joy that is set before him, he will become the servant. Can you say amen? 
He will empty himself for the joy that's set before him. It's, it's a trip. It's a, it's a long endurance race for him. It's many years of ministry, and then it's going to the cross. But for the joy that is set before, I wonder if we can even think that way. It's too hard for us. We think about the moment. We think about our comfort right now. We think about what's going on in our life right now. Today, not only today, but right this minute. How do I feel this this morning about myself? How do I feel I'm uncomfortable, I'm hot, I need a drink, I wish I was out of here, whatever. That's just the flesh because we comfort ourselves, we pamper ourselves, we always have. And the thought of going through something for the joy set before us just doesn't appeal to us. How much better is a home-cooked meal than a McDonald's hamburger? I don't think you can measure them. I don't know how to measure that. On one side, you got something that really is just, I'm not sure it's food. I mean, I sent Kay down the other day, and we get those and, and uh, little tacos from uh, Jack in the Box. I'm out there working. I say, hey, run down and get some of those tacos, Jack in the Box. I don't know what that is. I don't know. They call it mystery meat. Don't know what I'm eating. But man, is it fast. It just really, you know, it's there. How much better is a, a home-cooked taco? I can't even compare it. But I don't always want to go through a thing for the joy that's set before me. I don't want to endure a process. Isn't that funny how good things come through process? The fast stuff doesn't mean much. The good things come through a process. And so it is with the Christian life. And so do you really want to be like Jesus? We used to sing this song, to be like Jesus, to be like Jesus, all I ask is to be like him. And just, just you know, tears coming down. But then you say something about how the Lord was, and well, I don't want to be like that. All through life's journey and into glory. But I don't know how to get there. Glory, I mean. Because the process is going to take you and strip you. Empty myself. Have you ever emptied yourself? Let's just start right there. Have you ever emptied yourself? I would say probably most of us know. I think when we come to the Lord at salvation, whether that's at an altar or that was at home kneeling down, praying, driving your car and said, Jesus, I need you in my life. I repent of my sin. God, forgive me and help me and cleanse me. And I think that at that point in our life, we do empty ourselves. But then as Christian believers... We go through this thing and we don't realize that we've got another emptying to do and it's an emptying of the flesh. Self-denial. I hate it. Why did the Lord have to do that? Now I have to be like him. What the Lord did was empty himself of selfishness. He put himself aside. He put his desires aside. He put what would make him feel good as a fleshly man 
aside and denied himself of the pleasures of this world so that he could perform the servanthood that he was destined to do. And so I want to be like Jesus. Uh Uh-oh, i got to deal with selfishness in my life. Now I'm going to talk to you about an issue that you get when you're born. And on your last breath, you're still dealing with it. And that's called self-centeredness and selfishness. You don't have, somebody doesn't have to tell you how to do that. You already know. You don't have to teach a kid to be selfish. What What's the first thing a kid will do when he gets a, a little toy? Share it with others. Here you go. You take my toy. No, he starts screaming, mine! It's amazing how they learn that. A couple of two, three words. They just learn it so quick. And now, and they just, where does that come from? Why can't that kid share? And I've said that about our kids, the little guys. You know, they just won't share. Why don't they just share? Because, because you're not born that way. You are born to be selfish. Hello. Everybody okay so far? I'm just getting started with this. From Eve to where you're sitting today, humanity has been dealing with selfishness. I'm going to tell you something about selfishness. I don't know if you've thought about this or not. But selfishness is the backbone of sin. Let me sink that in for a minute. Selfishness is the backbone of sin. What do you think Eve did? Well, you know, she was just hungry and just wanted something else to eat. No. No, the devil came to her and said, the day that you eat of this, and so something begins to come into her mind and her spirit that says, I want that. God said I couldn't have it, and I want it. And humanity's been there ever since. That's the problem that you have. It's not, you know, say, well, I'm drawn away. You're only drawn away of your own lust. You're drawn away because of your selfishness. I like this, this, the scripture says this, that the love of money is the root of all evil. It's not money. Money's not the root of all evil. Somebody said, well, is it wrong to have money? No, but it's wrong to love money. Because what does the love of money do to a man? It will corrupt your good thinking. It will corrupt your morals. It will, be, it will corrupt who you really think you are when you can save a little money there by cheating. You can do somebody wrong over here. And I get by, we see it in our government, every area. Is anybody untouched with corruption? No, because the love of money is instantly in synonymous with our spirit of selfishness. So if I can get over and I can get ahead... Everybody else can just lag behind. As long as I take care of me. Well, this is this where we're at. And say, Pastor, do you have that? Yes. I fight selfishness because we're born with it. We're shaped 
in that iniquity. Selfishness works into depravity in our life. It's just old sin, you know, just the devil. No, the devil just offers it. You're the one that takes it. He just puts the bait out there. You're the one who eats it hook, line, and sinker. Well, what does, what does selfishness do? Cause you to lie? Because I want to cover myself. The reason why I'm lying is because so I can make myself look better. And the reason why I steal is because you have it and I want it. I'm selfish. I want it. I don't want you having it, so I'm stealing it from you. I think, you know, when I looked at this thing, I said, Lord, really, really the root of sin is all about our selfish nature. And, and so you have adultery in your life because you are selfish. Fornication makes you feel good. The reason why you're looking at pornography is because you are totally selfish. You don't care how it affects anybody, how it affects your life. You're selfish, you want it, and you're going to do it. Well, this is preaching right here. The LGBTQ, their, their whole idea of who they are is total selfishness. I'm going to do this because this is what I want to be. This is who I am. I don't care about family. I don't care about friends. I don't care about community, government, schools. I don't care about anything. This is what I want. And so this is what I am going to do. And we're all going to celebrate it. Celebrating that stuff is totally against the mind of Christ in our life. So we get into a church and we hear a preacher preach, well, you know, you know, it's just we need to accept people. And we just, we're accepting the total selfishness that God has refused for humanity. It is sin. It will be sin. It continues to be sin. Alcoholism is all about being totally selfish. You don't care that it hurts your kids. You don't care that it hurts your family. You don't care that it hurts your wife. You lose your job. It doesn't matter to you. It's what I want. It's how I want to feel. It's totally 100% selfish. Drug addiction is all about you feeling this euphoric high. You don't care. It's what you want. It doesn't matter. You can make excuse for it. You can make excuse that it's just something that I need to do, but it is totally selfish to be on drugs. It does nothing but bring sin in your life. That's good preaching. Amen. What would cause a man to walk away from his family? Completely selfish. There is no reason for a man to walk away from the responsibilities of a family. You can't give one. What would cause spouses to be unfaithful? What would cause that? You were so selfish, blind with selfishness. 
that it doesn't matter. See how the sin is spawned in, in the selfish conduct of our life. It's about what I want, man. Why would good men, people that I've known, good men, I thought were good men, would sell out their morals, would sell out their values just to get something that's not going to last, something that really isn't any good anyway? Why would they do that? Because they have turned totally selfish. God doesn't want to raise up a bunch of selfish people in the church. That's not what he's trying to do. Get you in here so he can bless you. Get you in here so he can pour good things out on you. And you go out of here and then, then you're just selfish. And that's why he said one man came to his Lord and said, I owe you certain, or the Lord called him in and said, you owe me certain money. And he said, please be patient with me. I'll pay it. Please be patient with me. And the Lord said, I'll forgive you of that. He went out and found a man that owed him a little money and grabbed him by the throat and said, you're going to give it back. The reason why that guy is completely selfish. God is not raising selfish selfishness up in the church it is a plague that's come in the church it is a pandemic in the church being selfish caring about yourself and not caring about other people why do you think God gives a shema in the second part of the shema I love the first part well the very first part is hero Israel the Lord our God is one God I can celebrate about that hallelujah I know who I'm worshiping now and thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, mind, soul, and strength. And then the second part is like unto it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. So what does that mean? I need to sell everything I have and give it to my neighbor? No, what God is trying to do is break the selfishness out of our life. Sure, you have to provide for your family. You don't provide for your family. You're worse than an infidel. That's in place. We're not worried about that. But the selfishness and stubborn selfishness of our life causes us to sin against each other. When God wants us to be caring about each other. Can you say amen? So you see, you see one brother's going through a trial. Don't say, hey, brother, I hope somebody brings you a coat so you can stay warm. Remember the scripture said, I hope somebody does something for you. And you got it in your pocket right there, you know. You know, I was going to go down and eat steak dinner. I don't want to give him that. He could get a coat. And so we become selfish as Christians. And this innate selfishness is inside the human psyche. I'm sorry you can't dig it out. The counselor can't get it out of there. It's in the human psyche. So anytime you revert back to the flesh, guess what? You're going to revert back to your selfish self. And it's ugly. Can you say amen? Okay, I'm, I'm going I'm to get done. We, we, we've been enough. We can only eat so much and then we're full. All right. It starts in the mind. No, I want to get all spiritual. I want to get down here. No, pastor, get the oil. Pastor, get the oil. Put it on my head. I know God just do something supernatural. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Wait, 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 wait. Let this mind be in you. You're not going to get that by the laying on of hands of oil. You're going to get that through a quiet time before the Lord, and you realize, wow, the Lord completely emptied himself, and look at me. 
I'm being a picture of selfishness to my kids. I'm being a picture of selfishness to the people around me. And say, God, help me. Can you say amen? God, help me. The first thing that he did, you will never be a servant of the Lord until you deal with selfishness in your life. But I want to give you some hope here, though. It starts with the thoughts, the thoughts of self-denial, the thoughts of serving instead of being served. When it hits you in the face to get in the front of the line, think about it. When it hits you to make sure that you get yours and you don't care about other people, think about it. That's not the mind of Christ. And so, it begins in the mind, the thoughts of self-denial, the thoughts of serving instead of being served, like the Lord said. And then we need some strength to carry that out. And I'm going to be honest with you, it's going to take some supernatural strength to make those thoughts work in your life. It's not going to happen by turning over a new leaf. That will only happen for about a week. Maybe not even the end of the day. Let me tell you the trouble between man and wife. They're both selfish. Let me tell you the trouble between kids and, and parents. They're selfish. Let me tell you the trouble that you're having on the job. Selfishness is going around. It, it just, it's just the root. But you get to a place where you say, God, okay, I need some help in this area. And, and then what I preached last week, the holy breath of God, the penuma. Holy pneuma of God, the breath of Jesus Christ that he breathed upon the disciples in the room, the breath of Jesus Christ that he, that he breathed on a day of Pentecost, the breath that he breathes on the believer, that holy breath is what will empower you to do the right thing that God has placed in your mind and the thoughts to do right. God will then give you the power, but he's not going to overpower your thoughts. That's something you're going to have to come to. Let this mind be in you that was in Christ Jesus. He put it off for what was ahead. He sacrificed himself. And now I'm going to ask only those that deal with selfishness to stand up. That's all. You that don't, you remain seated. Yeah, that's what I thought. That's what I thought. So we say this morning, Lord, okay, okay you, 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 you know, you, you, you jarred my awareness here of about a thing. The Lord was totally selfless. Can you say amen? What a wonderful picture of, of, of a servant. The greatest servant to ever walk the face of the earth. The most selfless man. And Lord, please help me to get that thought in my mind. Would you say that with me this morning? Would you just raise your hand, Jesus? Lord, that mind that was in you. And Lord, I think I've got it. And I think, Lord, until I then, uh, selfishness rears up its ugly head in my life again. 
But, Lord, we just ask you that that thought that you had, Lord, to empty yourself of your own vain things, Lord, and, and to put on the servant's robe, I pray that every one of us will realize that God enacted in by the power of your holy breath in our life. Lord, do something supernatural inside of us. Change us. Make us and mold us, Lord, as we repent and we change our mind to hear the mind of Christ. And we give you all glory, Jesus. Can you say amen? There's a great hope. The Lord's going to do it in our life. Amen. God bless you each and every one. You have a great day today. The Lord go with you. We'll be back here at 6 o'clock tonight, and we'll be preaching the same kind of word, singing the, singing the praises of God, preaching this gospel. Amen, amen.